Hello and welcome to the Urban Permaculture Podcast. My name's Heather and I'm with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm and today we're going to talk about starting an urban permaculture setting in the city. Um, Specifically, I want to talk about things that you can do in a small space such as a dorm or an apartment, a condo, a smaller location that doesn't have a lot of acreage. And so we had sent out a request for some feedback and asked what you guys wanted to hear about. And this was a topic that came up. So today we're covering a reader or listener request. (laughs) Um, The first thing you can do in a small setting um, to move towards a life of permaculture. And uh, most of these also go for a kind of a homesteading life as well, um, is you can start out with composting. Now, in an apartment setting or a small-scale setting, you are not going to have room to have a large, you know, three-bay outdoor composting center, and I recognize that. But what you can do is use a bucket system. Now, in our house, we actually started with a bucket system. We used a drywall spackling bucket and drilled some holes in the lid for ventilation and just put our kitchen scraps in it. And uh, we have a paper shredder in our front room. And when we get junk mail, I just head to the front room and we shred junk mail that is compostable. And then when the compost um, shred or the shredder gets full, I just take some of that paper and sprinkle it in our compost bucket. When the bucket gets full, it got added to a bigger bucket. And so that's something you could absolutely do in an apartment setting. Um, There's really no odor and it just hangs out in the bucket and decomposes slowly but surely to stir it. You don't need a pitchfork. You just kind of shake it a little bit or use a big wooden mixing spoon. And it's not exactly the most delicious looking mixture to be (laughs) spoon stirring, but it, it did work. Um, Another option is, uh, depending on your setting, if you have a balcony or a small amount of yard, you can get a tumbler. Um, Those are um, large, usually cylindrical barrels that are on a little bit of a stand, and you just put your compostable materials in them, close the little door, and give it a stir by spinning it, and it rotates kind of like toilet tissue on a holder and um, in that motion, and that allows all the things on the inside to get jumbled. Some of them have like little nubs on the inside to help with the, uh, the movement to kind of break things up a little bit. Some of them are smooth on the inside, but either way, a tumbler doesn't take up a ton of space. They come in a variety of sizes. They're commercially available available everywhere. Um, we'll post a link to a couple of options on our uh, on the web page. And you can also make your own. And it's really not that terrible to make your own. You can do it with a five-gallon bucket and, um, you know, a piece of dowel rod and a couple of two-by-fours. Or once again, you know, I love pallet wood. You can even just use some pallet wood and uh, make a, a little stand for that. Another option is to go with a Bokashi composter, and that is an option that uses fermentation, um, and you can even compost meat and animal products with a Bokashi composter. Um, that's something you definitely want to keep outside on a, on a patio or a balcony or in a yard. You do not really want to keep the Bokashi inside. I mean, you can. I don't recommend it. It does get a little on the smelly side because it is a fermenting process that uh, rapidly composts, but it does have odor. Um, 
Lomi is a fantastic option for the apartment or uh, small space composter because you simply take your kitchen scraps or compostable bioplastics and put them into the Lomi and you can choose a variety of different settings and you just push a button and let it go with a little enzyme tablet. Um, it breaks down really quickly as fast as overnight. Um, you have usable compost that's, that's dry and ready to be sprinkled into your plants or added to a garden. You can throw it into a bucket and save it until you have a large amount of it and you're good to go from there. Um, after you've got started on your composting, that's that's going to be your first step because that's going to get you some really good usable soil. The next step is to be gardening. Now you're thinking, wait, I, I live in a small apartment. I live in a dorm. I, I don't have room for a garden. Haha, you are wrong. You see, there are lots of ways that you can be gardening, even without a large space outdoors. One of the things you could be doing is setting up a little aquaponics setup in your home. Depending on the manufacturer, there are a variety of aquaponics system or hydroponics systems. So aquaponics is where you garden and you use fish and the fish will eat the bacteria and the algae and things that grow as a result of the plant roots. And then when the fish poos, the fish poo fertilizes the plant. So it's a symbiotic relationship and mutually beneficial to the plant and fish. At the end of the life cycles, you have fish you can eat and you have plants that you can eat. And it requires little space. So you can actually do that in something as small as an aquarium. Um, you can simply get some little floating discs um, that you put your seed in and, and your substrate to get the plant started. It's like a it's almost like a fuzzy little pod and it suspends the seed. And then as the plant grows, the roots go down into the aquarium, the fish use the, the, the roots and it's a beautiful situation. Now it depends on what kind of uh, size tank you can have in your apartment. You do need to check with, you know, your landlord to make sure you're allowed to have an aquarium because there are actually quite a few places that will not let you have an aquarium because it is a risk of flooding and damaging the apartment if something were to break on the aquarium. So not every apartment or dorm room is going to allow that, but it allows you to do some small scale things like grow watercress. And you don't necessarily need to have an edible fish. I mean, you can simply have a goldfish or a comet that you get. They're dirt cheap. They're 20 to 30 cents a piece at our local pet stores for some comets. It's actually what we have in our pond out front, our feeder comets. Um, and, you know, you can grow watercress right there in the water. And it is a very prolific plant and it does great. So that's something you could be growing right there in your apartment. You can also use a hydroponics setup. Cool thing about hydroponics, a lot of um, tower gardens are hydroponic. They are a pipe with a, a pump that takes the water from a re reservoir in the bottom and pumps the water up through a, a long skinny pipe with little holes in it. And you plant your plants in the little holes and the pump just perpetually cycles it. You just every once in a while have to add some water and some fertilizer to the um, bottom reservoir. Or some of them even have a little um, cap on the side of them where you can um, add your water and your fertilizers. But your plants will just grow from that little tower. 
if you're looking at a small space, it's perfect because you can grow an entire garden of vegetables, an entire salad of vegetables in one tall, skinny space that takes up about the same amount of space as a coat rack. Um, if you if you have a coat hook or a coat pole, uh, an umbrella stand, that's about the size of a hydroponic setup. Now, of course, it's going to depend on what kind of plants you're planting. If you're if you're planting really huge plants on it, you know, like an enormous giant cabbage, obviously it's going to take up a little bit more space. And if you're planting some, say, romaine or some butter lettuce or cucumbers are going to trellis down your hydroponic system because they are a vining plant. So they're going to sprawl out a little bit more. So it might have a bigger footprint. But I have a friend that actually had a hydroponic setup in college um, in her dorm room. She actually had that whole little setup and grew salad in her dorm room. And it was kind of a novelty thing then, but it is becoming more common. Again, I will post a link um, in the show notes for some hydroponic setups that are available as well. And once again, it's something that you can make. So um, you're going to notice that in nearly everything I'm talking about today, you're going to hear me say, and it's something you can make. And that leads me to let you know that in the very near future, you're going to be hearing from Bob again as we go over an episode of all the things that you can make. And um, we're going to talk about some of them. In addition to hydroponics and aquaponics, you can do a container gardening. Um, If you've got a balcony or a porch, you can absolutely do container gardening. Uh, You don't need a watering hose. You just need a watering can to keep them, um, you know, plenty watered. And so that's definitely an option. Also, talk to your landlord. Um, I lived in an apartment for years, and out front, our landscaping was pretty pitiful and embarrassing. And so one day, the landlord was in the unit across from us working on some things, and I, I just grabbed a hold of him and said, hey, can you come outside with me for a minute? And he said, okay. And I pointed to the flower beds around our apartment, and I said, you know, I don't think flowers or landscaping are really your thing, but I really enjoy them. And I was wondering if it would be okay if I took care of the landscaping here going forward. I'd like to plant a garden on the side of the building and I'll mow the grass and tend a garden if you'll give me a discount on the rent. Because then you don't have to drive here to take care of it or pay anybody to do it. He pondered it for a minute and said, sure. And so I started planting edible flowers and plants in the flower beds out front. They were beautiful, but also edible. They were permanent things. Uh, I planted things like hosta, which you can eat. And I planted daylilies, which you can also eat. And a few other things. And then on the sides of the building, it was a four-unit apartment complex that looked like a giant Lego block. It was just big and square. So the sides had long, straight um, areas along the sides of the building, and they got some sunlight on one side. And so I just threw down some peat moss and a little bit of soil and compost and planted a bunch of plants all the way down the side of the building. And that, that year I grew peppers, tomatoes, onions, and cucumbers on the side of my building. And of course, I also planted some onion sets and things. And, you know, my husband and I drove by not so long ago, and I noticed that the landscaping that I planted is still there. And I have been out of that place since 2016. So it's been several years, and the permanent things that I planted then are still going strong. So just talk to your landlord. I mean, the worst they can say is no. And 
you know, on an odd chance that they say yes, there you go. You've got the option to have some edibles in the ground. Another option is to look into a community garden. Now, there are a variety of options for community gardens. Some of them you can basically rent a little box of raised garden bed. Some of them are just enormous plots of land and you get a set amount of square footage and they'll tell you exactly which chunk is yours and you can just, you know, use some rope and some stakes and square off your spot and plant outside or or some places it's an enormous community project and everybody contributes and everybody gets to take a part in it. And that works kind of like a CSA or a community supported agriculture setup. Now, CSAs are on my next um, option I wanted to talk about. So a CSA or a community supported agriculture project, there are, there are options for how those work. So some CSAs are set up in a way that you pay a farmer and a set amount and it can either be prepaid for a season or it can be on a week by week or biweekly or monthly basis. That's up to the individual farmer and client. And in return, they provide you with an allotment of fruits and vegetables, herbs and spices and produce that they grow. Now you're kind of at the mercy of the farmer and typically it's set up in such a way that you get what you get. Some weeks you may have a ton of one thing and very little of another, and the following week it may swap roles, and you just kind of are at the mercy of the farmer. Other CSAs, you pay a fee to be a part of it, and everybody goes together and tends to the garden together. Everybody helps with the planting and the harvesting, and you basically just split it with whoever is also contributing to that. Um, so that's definitely an option that's available. You can also talk to friends. Um, I have a really good friend. He owns a ton of property. He's way out in the country and he's a bachelor with an, an enormous amount of property. Part of it, he rents out to a farmer who commercially farms and does commercial agriculture on 10 acres of his property. And then he also has just a huge yard. And, you know, that's something that I can talk to him and say, you know, hey, buddy, is there any way I would be willing to come out here and do all the work? Could I plant a garden on your property? I'll do all the tending to it and I'll plant it. And in return, I'll give you some of the produce from my garden if you'd be willing to let me use your property to grow the garden. And I know him enough to know that he'd be more than happy to do that. And I know that he's not the only one. There are, there are lots of people that have space in their yards that they're not using for anything that may be willing to allow you to grow if you're willing to share in the bounties of the garden. You can also grow a bunch of things indoors. So you can take um, really cuttings from nearly any herb, um, not everyone, but quite quite a few of them. And you can root them in a little glass of water. And once they've got roots, you can plant them. You can upcycle containers. You, I mean, you can use an old Cool Whip bowl or a cottage cheese container and throw some potting soil in there and throw your herbs in it with a little bit of compost and just keep it watered and in a sunny window. And you can actually grow a full herb garden right there in your window. You can use a plastic box. They, they make um, plastic storage containers the size of a shoebox. You can simply take two of those, put them together, drill holes in the top box, um, or just if you don't have a drill, just 
stab it with a, like a screwdriver or something to poke holes in it and um, a nail. Um, anyhow, just stack it in the other one and put some uh, soil in there. Take your rooted cuttings of your herbs or seeds, whatever, and sprinkle it in there and get them growing. You can then take water and put it in the bottom uh, plastic tub. You'll be able to bottom water your herb garden. Those tubs are like $2 a piece. So for $4, you can do that using kitchen scraps. So last year, I had a good friend of mine that went to a local farmer's market, and she bought a ton of Thai basil. And it was on sale. The guy was just trying to get rid of it. His basil was about done for the year, so he sold it to her cheap. But she really didn't need all of it, and she was stressing because she didn't know what to do. So she gave some to me. Now, I cooked with some of it, but of course I saved a few sprigs, and I put them in some shot glasses with water, rooted them, and I planted them last year from the plants that were already established. Now, you can oftentimes grow them from seed, of course, but these cuttings are super easy to propagate and they've already got, you know, some true leaves in essence. So it works out pretty fantastic. And herbs are, in essence, you know, a perpetual grower. They're going to keep coming back year over year. And if you bring them inside over the winter, you've now started an urban permaculture food forest of herbs right in your small space. Another thing that you can be doing is um, working on food preservation. So once you've got all these things coming in and growing, you can do things like canning, dehydrating, freezing, and fermenting things right in an apartment setting. Now, you could do freeze drying, but I will say it's a little bit more on the cumbersome side because the machine to freeze dry is quite large. And if you're in an apartment, you may not have the space for that. So I'll stick to canning, dehydrating, freezing, and fermenting as the, um, the, primary, the primary options for you. Researching local regulations is going to be super important. So in an apartment, you could potentially be able to have rabbits um, because rabbits are considered a pet. Um, so a lot of places will allow you to have rabbits. I mean, they don't need to know that you're raising them as basically livestock inside your tiny apartment. And at the end of the day, rabbits are fantastic meat. They also provide a fantastic manure. And rabbit manure is not a hot manure. What that means, when somebody says that a manure or a fertilizer is hot, it means that it's entirely too dense and rich in either nutrition or microbes or something about it is a too high of a concentration. And by hot, it will create chemical burns to your plant or it will infect them with parasites or bacteria or things. And so with most manures, you need to lay them into a compost bin and let them age. And you know they've aged well enough to use when they are no longer discernible as individual little piles or pieces, if you will. When the composted manure is one giant pile of loose soil, in essence you know that the compost is good to go. It also will no longer smell like manure. It'll smell very earthy and it will no longer be super hot. It'll have become a little bit cooler because the bacteria is already burned off. 
However, with rabbits, you don't really have to worry about that because their their manure isn't super hot. So it's a way for you to grow even livestock right there in an apartment in an acceptable setting. Um, now, I will say it makes it a little bit more difficult because being in an apartment, it's going to feel more like a pet. So when it comes time to process the rabbit, it's going to be potentially a little bit more difficult to do. And I totally understand that. But if nothing else, you can keep a rabbit as a pet and use his manure in your composting efforts. But research your regulations and local things, um, you know, I, not just apartments, but sometimes there's a homeowners association. And HOAs have some really crazy rules. Um, some of them will not allow you to have a garden bed out front. Some of them will tell you what kind of plants you can and cannot grow. Some of them will have rules about um, the aesthetics of your home, what kind of livestock, if any, you're allowed to have. They'll have rules about composting and trash. They'll have rules about what kind of mulching you can do and things. So if you live in a community where there's an HOA, it's really important to research and find out because you really don't want to anger your HOA. Um, I mean, me personally, I don't want an HOA because I don't want to have to pay somebody to tell me how I can't ha can and cannot have my house. But if you already are in an HOA setup, check with them and find out what kind of intricate rules are there. Um, aesthetics. I mean, some local some local communities actually have aesthetics guidelines. Um, we live in a historical district, so our historical district is pretty lax. However. Three streets over is where the cutoff is for the next historical district. And that particular historical district is ridiculously strict on what you can and cannot do. In fact, you have to ask them permission to paint anything and it has to fit into a very specific color scheme. Um, otherwise, they can actually make you repaint your home or fine you or both. Um, as far as bees, uh, we live in Ohio in a zone 6A. We're allowed to have bees in our city. Our city actually is fine with it. But we have very specific rules and regulations about where those bees can and cannot live, what kind of bees we can have. Um, in Ohio, we have to have our hives clearly marked with a hive number. We have to pay a registration fee to the state. Um, and we have to record that hive number. And the, the, the state needs to know the exact location of the hive. So... Researching these local regulations is going to be very important in an urban setting, especially in like an apartment setting, because sometimes those the zoning on those won't allow you to do any kind of agriculture. So it's something you definitely want to look into. Another thing that you can do to help yourself move towards more an urban permaculture and a homesteading lifestyle is to join some local groups. Um, there are seed swap groups, there are livestock groups, there are beekeeping guilds, there are even permaculture groups available. Um, so you, you can start out by finding these things, uh, searching online. Contact your local library. Oftentimes the local libraries will have all of these kind of groups that meet meet there monthly, weekly, or bi-weekly, bi-monthly, etc. You can also talk to your county's ag extension office and the extension office oftentimes can put you in contact with folks. But learning about these things and seeing what actually sparks your interest after talking to somebody who's really been in the thick of it 
is going to help you quite a bit with figuring out if something's even right for you. I won't lie. I was pretty nervous about the idea of beekeeping. I am so gung-ho about it. I love honey. I love beeswax. I like royal jelly. And there's a lot of things that made me pretty excited about it. But at the same time, I don't like getting stung by bees. And so, you know, I was a little nervous. You know, we have dogs that I care for dearly. They're like my children. And I'm like, you know, is having a beehive around something that's going to affect my dogs? Like, are they going to get stung all the time? Because I clearly don't want them to be hurt or injured, you know. And what are my neighbors going to think? So this was a great way for me to get some some resources. I joined on, on social media. I actually went on Facebook and found a local beekeeping group. They meet once a month and they meet about a mile and a half from our house. So I can go and hang out and listen to them and talk to them and pick their brains. And I have people who live in my community then that I can communicate these things with and ask all the questions and make connections with. Um, I actually have a friend that is a beekeeper and, you know, he's got his own apiary and he said, when the time comes, just let him know and he'll come over and help us set up our hives and make sure they're good to go. And he'll teach us some of the tips and tricks for checking things with our bees. And when we actually get our bees in, he said, you know, he'll come over and show us how to release the queen safely and things like that. So, you know, these, these connections from these groups, it's, it's a great wealth of knowledge and it's a great place to start. Um, another thing you can do to start moving yourself towards a more permaculture and homesteading lifestyle is to start replacing single use items with reusable items. Um, razors, you know, disposable razors. That's a lot of plastic waste for one little tiny blade of metal that you're only going to use once or twice and then you're going to throw away and it's just going to sit in the landfill for a long time. Um, you know, Bob is on the, uh, on the grow your beard out, never shave again tribe. I, you know, don't think that I should never shave my legs again. I don't think he would feel the same way about that. Although, you know, there are other options available there. Um, they actually, I actually ordered and it will be delivered today from Amazon. I, um, ordered this, it's a mitt, it's a crystal mitt and it's got a very fine, what almost looks like sandpaper on it. And you pull the skin taut and you rub and it removes the hair without having to use a disposable razor. Now, in theory, um, I talked to a friend who actually recommended this. She said she's had hers for two and a half years now. She's never had to replace it. You simply rinse it off and let it dry, and it's reusable over and over and over. And so going into summer, I wanted to give it a try. She said it's pain-free, etc. And the nice thing about doing away with those single-use razors, I'm not spending money on razors. This mitt for shaving my legs was, I think, $12. And it'll last, you know, at least a couple years. And that's a lot of razors that I'm not going to be adding to the landfill. Um, bottled waters, you know. We have become a nation and a, a world, really, that is very dependent upon bottled water and the convenience of prepackaged bottled waters. The thing is, with bottled water, what most people don't even realize they they call it spring water or fan, they'll use fancy terms for the water. But at the end of the day, most of the times it's tap water, especially if you're getting it from Nestle. Um, it is literally straight tap water, the same municipal water supply that is available. So I recommend getting a reusable water vessel. And I say vessel because I have like a 
a thermos style. Um, I like the, the towel brand, T-A-L brand, um, vessel. It is a 40 ounce thermos. It will keep things hot and cold for a really long period of time. Um, I use it for bottled or for water when we're traveling because I'm very sensitive to, um, water. And because we do travel for work a lot, especially when we're in the coastal areas and there's a lot of salt in the natural drinking water there, it really upsets my tummy. So I have to be careful with that. And so when we travel, I carry that thermos full of water from home because it's water I know I can drink and it doesn't bother me. I'll throw some ice in it and it keeps my water cold for a long time. Instead of buying case after case after case of bottled water, which is just somebody else's tap water in some plastic that's going to gum up a landfill, it's better for me to take my 40 ounce canteen and fill it up with ice and water and bring it with me than to carry around two or three bottles of water and add trash. So that's something that you can absolutely do. I also have a um, an insulated cup. Um, I believe that one, let's see, I'm drinking from it right now. Uh, that's a Tervis, and it is uh, one of the vacuum-sealed double-layer metal cups, um, similar to the Yeti, and it does a great job of keeping my drinks cold. Uh, I actually put ice in this cup last night before bed, and it's now 11 a.m., and it still has an ice cube floating in it. So you don't get that with a little plastic, thin, reusable bottled water. It just doesn't stay insulated longer. So that's just another reason to go with the uh, the reusable cups. Um, purchasing groceries from the bulk bins. Um, now, we don't have options around here for that so much, but I know that in the Pacific Northwest, they have options where you can purchase groceries from kind of bulk bins. So if you want oatmeal, you can go to the bulk bin for oatmeal, scoop it out into a, you know, a thin bag and... Instead of having, you know, an entire huge package with plastic and then cardboard and then a plastic lid, you just have the thin bag like a produce bag. In fact, we actually have um, reusable containers that you can you can use at some of them. Um, I think our Whole Foods has a bulk bin container around here. A lot of the produce departments at your local, local grocery stores are in that kind of category. If I can buy loose Roma tomatoes, I'm going to do that as opposed to purchasing um, packaged tomatoes because that's less packaging and that's less plastic waste going into the environment. And the ones that are loose, things like that typically have a little bit less um, of the chemicals and preservatives on them. Um, you can use pieces of fabric that are very lightly coated in natural beeswax in place of silicone um, or clean film. It makes it really convenient to reuse them. They are washable. Um, you can just spray them off or wipe them down with a rag. They will f bend and form and cling to the sides of a bowl if you're missing a lid. And do everything that saran wrap or cling film could do, but they're reusable. You can also use silicone zippered bags. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love me some Ziploc bags. I love zippered bags. But if I could have one that's a little bit thinner material or thicker material, excuse me, and they're silicone and reusable, you can bet yourself that that's something I'm going to want to do because, again, it is a way for me to help with my impact on the environment. Um, the last thing that I'm going to mention is that 
you can plan for long-term success. Um, you know, it, when you're doing some of these things, look into options um, for for what what's coming next year. You know, every year you're going to have the ability to build on your skill set and build on your knowledge level. And every year, the things you can do from a small urban environment are going to be able to expand. Maybe you start this year with just having a little compost bin. And once the things are broken down, maybe you just dump them outside into the garden bed in front of your apartment. Maybe you save it up and give it to a friend. And then the following year, you plant up and you start a garden indoors. And then maybe you look into getting a rabbit. And then maybe you look into helping out with some local apiaries and learn about beekeeping. And maybe you start replacing some of these single-use plastics and you've started helping have a better, greener footprint. It's all things that can build upon each other. It's things that are setting up long-term sustainable practices. Everything we do here at Hogs and Hens Urban Farm, everything we try to do with our garden is aimed for our mission to grow a more sustainable way of living. And it's, it's something that we very, very actively have, have worked towards. It's, it's why we upcycle the pallets and, and things. You know, another, here's, here's another upcycling option for, for growing in your apartment. You know, you take an empty, um, it has to be the clear ones. The white ones don't work so well, but a, a gallon of milk here in the States has a very distinctive shape. Um, so cut the gallon of milk around just below the handle Put some dirt in there, um, some garden or some potting soil or some seed starting mix, depending on what you're going to do. Seed starting mix is ideal. Throw some seeds in there, tape the lid shut after the, the plants are nice and good and wet. And you can actually container garden right there in those milk jugs. And then when it gets warm enough that uh, the risk of frost is gone, just take the top of the milk jug off and you can save it year over year or just or you can recycle it whatever and you can grow you know vegetables right there you don't even have to buy flower pots you can reuse existing containers and use them over and over and when they no longer are serving a purpose you can just recycle them um so those are some ways for you to be able to kind of start living a more urban permaculture life and to start doing some homesteading, even if you live in a small apartment or dorm room. Um, we've had a lot of feedback that they that you guys wanted to hear about, you know, apartment and dorm room permaculture options. And that's kind of what I got for you for now. But please, please, please hop over to our Facebook page, um, Hogs and Hens Urban, Urban Farm. And find us on Facebook, and if you've got some suggestions for things you'd like to hear about, don't hesitate to let us know, because I want to make content that you enjoy, and if there's something you're dying to learn about, tell me, and I'll be happy to share what I know. Also, check out our website, www.hogsandhensdayton.com, for show notes and links to the products we talk about, as well as additional articles about um, things related to urban permaculture and homesteading. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, and we will talk to you next week. (laughs) Bye-bye.